Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your host, Dylan Conroy, with another edition of the Ad Podcast. I want to thank our sponsor this week, Brill Media. Brill Media was ranked number 155 on the Inc. 5000 list this year of the fastest growing companies in America. I want to thank their clients for choosing Brill as their programmatic and hyperlocal advertising partner of choice. If you want to learn more about Brill Media, check out thankyou.brillmedia.co. Robert is an awesome guy. I've known him forever, and he will definitely hook you up and take care of you. So now to the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your host, Dylan Conroy, here in Layton, Utah, with the one and only Sean Duras. Inside the space station. Inside the new space station for the first time. Yes, sir. How you doing, Sean? Great to have you, man. I think you visited at Space Station 1.5 and 2.0, yeah. and as we expand into the building next to us, it's going to be 3.0. Journey. Love the new office for you guys that are listening that know Sean and his content. The cereal wall has made it in completely intact. <laughs> well, not completely intact, but it's much more artistic now. So hopefully yeah, I'll, get, I'll get a little bit of rolling. B-roll footage and throw that up on the YouTube channel as well so you guys can see it. Why don't you take me back to the beginning? What's the origin story of Sean Duras? I've heard it a bunch of times, but I'd love for yeah. my listeners to hear how you got started in this whole journey. Origin of the name Chandras. I was in Honduras serving a two-year mission, and when I got back, everyone's like, Sean is back from Honduras. Chandras is stuck as a nickname. When I came back, all these social media handles were new. Instagram was invented. YouTube was invented. I happened to dip the country like during the most important <laughs> two years of social media inventions, it feels like. So I came back, and I was like, oh, I gotta figure out this YouTube and Instagram thing. So when I did that, I made the handle Chandras, and everything changed from there. So that's the origin of the name. Yeah. Also some sentiment behind that. While I was in Honduras, I met my business partner, Sean Holiday. Mm-hmm. That's where we really became buddies and I learned his skill set. And we just started following each other once we got back and ultimately became business partners in building the space station. Two year service mission in Honduras played a lot into my branding and also the direction of the space station. As far as your social media career trajectory, Snapchat was really inception, right? Yeah, man, that was the very beginning. So I was made all the social media handles and I was going to be a pro skateboarder and post cool skateboard videos because that's what I like to do and then I quickly realized that that hurt and probably wasn't the best idea and that's when I saw Snapchat really starting to take off so at the time I had a cool job within the skateboard snowboard industry I had owned a skate shop it wasn't going super well and so that's when I became a rep the people that visit the skate shops and deliver the goods and market and just tell the story of the new products coming and mm-hmm. I was doing a great job of that and as I traveled around I got lots of fun opportunities to skateboard with pros and jump out of helicopters with a snowboard and all that and my sisters were like you got to throw this on Snapchat and it's like well what's that they were super ahead of the curve. They were very new to Snapchat. They were the first users, right? Mm-hmm. They were high school girls, right, when Snapchat was invented. Right, when it was like, popping. Exactly. Yeah. They kind of found it before everyone else and led me onto it. And that's where I started doing these adventures. My very first Snapchat that I took off, it was this grandma on an airplane. And she had neon greenish, bluish, yellow hair. <laughs> so I doodled her into a My Little Pony, sent it off to my friends and sisters, and someone ended up putting it on Reddit. And it blew up, and all of a sudden I had like 500 followers. And I was like, holy crap, I'm famous. Famous. Like, Utah, if you got 500 followers, you're famous back in the day. Chilling. So I was like, wow, I could maybe take this serious. And that's when I started doing research and learning about guys in Utah like Devin Supertramp, yep. who ran a business on YouTube working with brands. So there's YouTube, there's Vine. What if I could be the first influencer for Snapchat? It's a storytelling platform. You can be creative. 
I want to be the first one to do this, so I just set out to be the very first Snapchat influencer, and what seemed like a really big dream, just random me actually ended up working, and that's kind of where we took it from there, is the first Snapchat influencer, worked with the very first brand on Snapchat, did the very first deal, it was actually with Disney, lucked out there, wow. instant credibility, built the economy on Snapchat, what are the rates, you know, what is it worth? The engagement on Snapchat was so high at that time, I had about a 32% conversion ratio. So I have actual screenshots and case studies of me saying, Hey, this is Sean Duris. At the time, I had 100,000 opens on my Snapchat story, and I'd say, go follow this brand. The particular example I'm thinking of, the brand handle was super long, and it was not that great. It was already taken, so they just added snaps at the end. So it was like the super long handle plus snaps. Hey, everyone go follow this 17-character <laughs> handle on Snapchat. And the next morning when I woke up to do the story, we started posting. 32,000 people viewed that story wow. and it was a brand new handle that from my push alone 32% of my audience had come over which that's was a really huge number that's been insane if and you think about other platforms yeah, and yeah that's, that's where it all started that's what's so cool about being first in a new place you know, on social media you have that moment in the sun where you can gain following really quickly or the algorithm is not quite dialed into the marketplace for commerce reasons so you can get to your audience in a way that's super unique snapchat what do you think happened there you think snapchat just didn't get it right with creators and it just didn't make sense to continue to build out your presence there and decided yeah. to diversify you know that. i mean it helps that we're best friends <laughs> <laughs> you know but yeah yeah you know that <laughs> snapchat was amazing for one maybe two years brands were getting their return if they paid us to promote their product, we could turn 32% of our audience to go follow them or purchase or at least go to the link. And those are great ratios. So everything was going great, but the problem was the platform itself did not sustain creators. It wasn't conducive of growth, right? It was hard to get found to have someone add you on Snapchat. They actually had to type in your name, spell it correctly. There was no verification, no autofill, anything. So had Lil Wayne shoot me, uh, shout me out. <laughs> So I had, I had Lil Wayne shout me out, I had Ryan Seacrest shout me out, I, my, my Snapchat handle was on American Idol on television. I just would not grow very much because of the way the platform was. That was very fresh. It's one-to-one. -one. It, really, Snapchat was trying to keep it more a place for friends to communicate versus yeah. they weren't really building an ecosystem for influencers to thrive. Mm -hmm. The difficult thing, though, is they weren't monetized, so they needed yeah. to monetize and they needed to place ads. So I had a meeting, two meetings, actually, with Evan, and I was like, look, man, we have an army of content creators that are ready to build a library of content for Snapchat, and you can place ads against that, you can sell ads, we can have specific demographics, you know, you have cooking shows, you have Chandra's traveling. Let's build a category where we can get more exposure and you can have content to place ads on. It made tons of sense, they just didn't go that direction, so after a couple of years, everyone saw Snapchat fizzle, they made some bad decisions, some bad layouts and changes to their platform, and eventually all the creators just kind of fizzled and left. I think Snapchat is still a thing and there are creators there, but it's maybe very small, I don't know. I finally pulled the plug. I tried never, never to burn a bridge, but I finally burned my Snapchat bridge a year or two ago, just said I don't need it anymore. So there's so many places you got to fill channels with content and if it's Priorities. not doing anything for you, yeah. it makes sense. Tell me about your transition to YouTube and Instagram. Was that scary for you to think about, gosh, I've invested in this one channel. I've built a name for myself. I've done deals with brands. I'm kind of a godfather of the platform. Yeah. Now I've got to go off the platform and rebuild my audience in other places. Was that yeah. a scary feeling at all? Or which is just, well, this is what I got to do and that we're going to go for it. I was on top of the world with Snapchat at the time. I was getting great deals. I had the most opens and impressions with some of the highest engagement. 
everything was going great and I was having talks with Casey and I said I had become yeah. friends with Casey during this time and it was lucky for me I became friends with him just a couple months before he started YouTube so it was a very genuine real friendship built off of common interests mm -hmm. and then once he started YouTubing and blowing up he became even more on demand but we had already built that like relationship and friendship before that so that was really nice and during that time YouTube's blowing up Snapchat's not stable long term you should come over and do YouTube videos yeah. doing so Casey videos. was the one that inspired you to go he to was, YouTube yeah. wow I didn't he know gave really good analogy that I want to share with you guys. He said, if you're swinging through a jungle on vines, you can't grab the next vine until you let go of the curve. When you're swinging, if you let go, when you're at your peak, your most momentum, you have tons of momentum carrying you to the next vine and you grab it. But what happens is a lot of people don't want to let go of the vine because they're scared they won't grab the next one. So they wait till it starts swinging back and then they're like, oh crap, I have to jump off or else I'm never going to get there. And so they lose that momentum. It, that was just a straight kick in the shorts for me yeah. to be like, all right, yeah, I know that momentum will die on Snapchat, even though it's great right now. I got to figure out the next thing. So when I was at my peak doing everything, I pushed super hard towards YouTube. And I remember Snapchat friends and even agencies and stuff saying, hey, man, you're killing it on Snapchat. Maybe just focus there. Like YouTube's pretty oversaturated. I just focused that. But I really wanted to do both and have more of a long term. So I just worked extra hard. I started to build out systems where I had for the first time an intern helping me with emails and an editor helping me do other stuff. And I just built out my first business structure so that I could do both Snapchat and YouTube and accomplish them. And overall, it was a really good idea because Snapchat did fizzle and YouTube I was able to make work and continued on as a YouTuber, which I did have a lot of the same audiences and start, but then eventually it became a whole new audience. People who watched me on Snapchat loved the adventures and the positivity and the creativity. The art artistic stuff yes. too, yep. And now mm -hmm. on YouTube, it's a lot more of storytelling and my family yeah. and the personal connection. People on YouTube have watched me your real life. have kids yeah. and then watch them grow up and so it's a little bit more connected. It's a different audience which is interesting to think about. It's like that analogy of jumping the shark on TV, right? You want to yeah, get yeah. there before you jump the shark yep. and you like move to another platform. One of the things I love about you, Sean, I feel like you're the hardest working creator in the Can industry and, and I don't just say that in regards to all the other things that you're doing that we're going to talk about later, but just in your work as a content creator, the last time I saw you speak in public, I think you mentioned that you have done over 350 brand deals at that time. Because of the way that your content is and the fact that you're very brand safe and easy to work with and just pleasure to work with, you have had the opportunity to collaborate with a lot of people. Not that you don't say no to things, but it seems like you always try and figure out ways to collaborate with brands versus some other influencers that may be a little snobby around yeah. their content or where they don't, hesitant, yeah, right? hesitant yeah. maybe, or they, do, they don't want to work with brands and because they think it's selling out, they right. think they're audience is gonna for some reason backlash yeah. but you figure out a way to make actually make your audience engaged and excited yes. when you work with a brand like can you that, hit that, that, that a little was bit the secret from the very beginning to make sure we're all on the same page here I think I've probably done 350 brand deals, but I don't think I've worked with 350 unique brands. So one of the secrets is the long-term, the long-term partnership. That's so much better than a one-off. A lot of influencers will take whatever they can get, and it's just a one-off deal and download this app, and they've told people to download so many apps at this point that no one even cares anymore, right? Or they've done competing brands, they've supported competing brands, and it doesn't make sense. So. You pick a lane and then you stay in it and you over deliver on that lane. So some of my very first partners on Snapchat were Disney, Red Bull, Taco Bell, Samsung, just to name a couple. And I over delivered every campaign, did a little bit more than what they asked. I was super easy to work with. I packaged everything up, all my content in a nice little bow and added extra comments that fans enjoyed it. So when they got it and reported to their boss or their boss's boss or the brand or wherever it went, it was like, wow, this is the best recap. It looks amazing. 
let's re-up with him and go again. So I kind of set myself up for the long-term play with brands, and that worked out really well. So that's thing number one. And then thing number two is I like the creative challenge of working with a brand. You say, hey, Sean, let's go work with Red Bull. That's easy. I, I love skateboarding, and I go do my thing. That's an easy yes. You say, let's go work with Windex as an example <laughs> I used before. That has nothing to do with me. Normally, you would say, oh, that's not organic to your brand. Turn that down. You need to stay true to who you are. And yeah, that is true. You don't want to sell out. But guess what? There's no one that is organic to Windex. They yeah. just love it. What YouTube channel is really organic to Windex? No one. But they still want to reach an audience and be part of content. Yeah. So what I do is I say Windex. I got a great idea. My fans love when I do fun stuff with the space station crew, all the guys in the office here. Let's have a crazy food fight, get each other super dirty, and then the winner is whoever can clean the other team the fastest with super soakers full of Windex. So <laughs> you know, a bunch of dirty guys running around and the objective is to clean them with Windex super soakers. Random weird thing off the top of my head, but guess what? My audience would like that because it's involving the right people. It's fun, it's weird, it's wacky. It would show how well Windex really does clean. Have everyone wearing those plastic kind of suits and just show it do work. That's a great way to involve a brand without selling out and everyone wins. And that's my favorite thing to do. And that's, I think, where the agency side came from, right? Is I can be a creator and do these deals as long as I want or as long as I'm relevant, which in creator world is not always forever. I sure. have to, to stay a creator as long as I have. I've had to be a Snapchat creator and a YouTube creator. And now I'm kind of like a gaming creator. So right. You can't just keep doing the same thing. You keep thing evolving your brand as right. you evolve as a person. You tell yeah. new stories and to new audiences. And, and my partnerships evolve with that. I don't do as much with some of those brands that I, I mentioned initially, but I did tons with them for the first three years. And now I have some ride or die partnerships where my daughter's a Barbie ambassador. Works directly with Barbie gets to do all that cool stuff. That's fun. It's funny you mentioned Windex because they were one of my clients. Really? And, uh, Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the way that we were able to integrate our content as they came up with this really cool video that was about this dad who was at he was a fisherman sea captain or something okay. so he was always out on the boat looking through windows at his daughter growing up looking through the glass on the boat and seeing okay. his daughter at the shore looking at her through the glass into the keep babies yeah the baby place in the hospital and yeah. stuff but yeah oh. so you know windex is what cleans the glass and then with that campaign it made sense for us to reach out to dads you probably if i would have known you at that time cool, you probably yeah. would have been a perfect person to oh, get up about it so. route, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but it. that really is it is there is a balance between selling out and getting creative to find a win-win situation and i think a lot of creators are young and reckless and fun which is awesome but they can be strategic and take the challenge of partnering with a brand that maybe isn't i would never partner with a brand that doesn't fit views and initiatives but if a brand just next i don't have anything bad to say i don't have anything good to say just get the product and see what it does and make a good video for them i think need, more people need to approach it with that mentality another thing that i've loved in watching your career evolve is you've really dived into the business side of working with brands and not only being an on-stage person in front of the camera promoting a brand in your channels and making content for them with viacom for instance partnered with them to consult on the viacom portfolio and how they could build their brands and build their channels and approach youtube can you talk a little bit about how you've worked with brands behind the scenes as i was being a creator and delivering with these brands I, I started to find that a lot of my favorite part i do love creating content but a lot of it was that strategy we just mm -hmm. talked about is how do we do this 
creatively and also hit our KPIs. How do we get engagements? How do we get downloads? Whatever else. That part started to excite me and I think brands saw that I over-delivered there. So without me trying to be a consultant, which I wouldn't even know how to be that, <laughs> I had brands ask me, Taco Bell, hey, can you consult for us? We have a new program with creators. Can you consult? So I started consulting with them and then Viacom hit me up and said, we're, re- we're relaunching TRL. How do we do this so it makes a splash on social, not just linear television? So I went and consulted there and then that's when I realized that that was a huge passion for me was more the process, not just the content creation. Not just the content creation. And that's an important thing to to get beyond. I think a lot of us have passions and we want to treat those passions like a, a career, right? When I was at a snowboard shop, and I had my own snowboard shop and it felt like the coolest thing ever when it was a very cold powder day. That was the day I was in the shop selling the most I ever sold, <laughs> but I didn't get to go have the powder day, right? Sure, so yeah. if I want to be a content creator and go have fun, I can do that, but it's nice to have your career align with it, but not be that. So that. content creators, the passion, my community, my fan base, that's what I actually love and I want to keep it that way. I don't want that to just be a tool for income for my family, even mm. though it is a useful thing. Then. Sure, yeah. So I, I wanted to build a vertical that was in line with my passion, but it didn't take over my passion. And that's where the idea for consulting and agency came from. And oh man, I'm so glad I did it because being a creator doesn't last forever and it's stressful. As much as I'm level-headed and I try not to look at views and comments and chase numbers, it's human nature. If that's your job and I'm a driven human, to do my job better. It's hard to not respond and, and have yeah. some emotional connection exactly. to And it's not about the views and numbers, but it's about me wanting to succeed and work hard. And in social media, that's how you succeed sometimes is through views and numbers. So it's a balance. I would say to any creators listening that you need to take your creativity and your passion and use that to fuel something that is in line with what you're doing. Always be a creator because that is going to help you for the rest of your life. But don't count on being a creator for the rest of your life. And I've also love already talked about how you've reinvented yourself through different phases in your life and through social media. You and I had a, a fun chat when we were hanging out at Sundance last year. Yeah. I don't know if you can talk about this publicly or not, but if you can, let's let's dive into it for just a second. So you mentioned that your your channel actually got hacked. I oh, think yeah. it was last year. Yeah, let's dive in. And then, <laughs> so can you tell me? For a creator, this is your baby. This is your in- it's your income, it's your audience, it's your gateway to your fans. Yeah. You get hacked. Your someone's taken over your channel, and their your baby has been taken away from you. Essentially, yeah. what's that feeling like, and what was that process like for you? It must have been mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, it was super scary. So <laughs> I've been doing YouTube for about two years. Things were pretty stable, but honestly, numbers weren't amazing. Like my first year, I blew up, and then I kind of leveled out. And then the most recent six months before the hack, my channel is actually doing a lot lower performing than, than I had seen in a long time. When the hack happened, I was like, well, this is horrible. You know, I have filmed my life every day for the past 800 days and it's all gone and we could literally go in and see him just deleting videos one by one. Oh I was like, my oh, God. Man. And did he ransom you or something? Like yeah, say, like, yeah. I'm going to start deleting videos until you send yeah. me money. Yeah, oh my exactly. God. <laughs> it was a super big mess. We eventually got the channel back from YouTube four days later and they reinstated it. But what happens when they reinstated the channel it just it acted differently it kind of had like a new back end it was like algorithm, a like a will. boot up or almost yeah, like I treating noticed, it like a new channel exactly wow. i noticed in the past my channel had been really heavy on professional fun haver skateboarding and hoverboards and will it shreds and occasionally i would get burnt out or just want to be hanging with the family and there'd be some content around the family and it would do all right but it definitely wasn't the bread and butter of the channel when the channel came back i noticed that all my family stuff was really starting to perform and all the cool stuff 
was just not really moving. Uh-huh. I was like, I wonder if YouTube's reading my channel differently. They re- so, reclassified yeah, you or something. In- important note, roll with the punches, right? When Snapchat didn't feel like it was long-term, you, you head over to YouTube or whatnot. Yeah. As my channel came back and I realized I was seeing so much more traction with family stuff, I decided to make the shift and see if it would help. And I shifted to family, which played into my timeline perfectly because at that time I was already building some of these other businesses and these side hustles and consulting and to do crazy thing on your skateboard and get clickbait and consult and have a family that's it's really a hard busy. life yeah but if I can enjoy time with my family and film and do my video you must get both work, at the same time uh, it was perfect and then views started going up so a couple learning things from this number one don't go hack your channel <laughs> like, that's, that's not the solution that's a very risky lucky thing that happened yeah. number two Make sure you're filming what your passion is. When I started the YouTube channel, my passion was still skateboarding. The day I started the channel, I didn't have kids yet, right? And so that's what it was. But then over the next two to three years, I had two kids and that became my passion was family. Sure. And I think you noticed that I didn't want to go do the crazy skateboard tricks because I think you could see that I was forcing it. I didn't want to get hurt, but it's what yeah, the viewers yeah. wanted. And what I did want to do is spend time with my kids. You got to stay, stay true to who you are, obviously. And then the third and final thing is study your metrics. I noticed if I would, if I could have kept kicking against views and maybe I had been before my channel got hacked, maybe people were really wanting family content and I just couldn't see it. So I kept putting out skateboard stuff. So maybe that was what it took to have me actually dive into the analytics more. I looked at my analytics, but they were, where are my views at? Where's this? Oh, everything's down. How come? But I never did a deep dive into what possibly It's just a testimony to really know who your audience is and what they want and cater to that. And that's the best thing you can do as a creator. Little blessing in disguise, maybe. 100%. Huge blessing in disguise. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Let's flash forward to Sean Duras, the entrepreneur. We've talked a lot about your business as a content creator and origins and up to date. Now you've got this amazing portfolio of other businesses. You've got Space Station Integrations with Holiday, where you manage some of the top YouTube talent and the top creators in the world. Mm-hmm. You've got an esports organization, Space Station Gaming, where you've got all these teams and players. And you're a majority shareholder in VidSummit, or a shareholder at least in VidSummit. I don't know exactly yeah. what the economics are. But you've got all these really great side hustles and other businesses, which probably today are maybe turning into not your side hustle and yeah, turning yeah. into your primary focus in a lot of ways. Can you tell me a little bit about integrations? What gave you the idea to not just do your own content, but to start helping other creators manage the way they interact with brands and how they partner with brands? And what was the idea of the inception of that business and how did you guys get going on that? As I started to take YouTube Snapchat more serious and do all these deals, like you said, we, we've done you know 300 deals over the past couple of years. Uh, it was a lot of work and I realized that I didn't really trust anyone to do that work. There's lots of people that could have managed my deals and most of them were in LA and I didn't really know them. I just heard from word of mouth and like, that's an important thing. Who do you choose to manage you, right? Mm-hmm. It was a scary thing. I had tested out a couple different things. Agencies usually want to sign you and then they own everything you have. And it's like, well, you know, I want help here, but I don't need you to help me here and here. Like yeah. that feels weird. So I just had all these questions and Ultimately, it came down to me kind of managing myself, yeah. and then I found a very qualified business partner, Holiday, who could manage for me, so I kind of had the good cop, bad cop. You know, I'd be right. excited, <laughs> ready to work with the brand. I've got all these ideas. My audience is going to love it. Here's Holiday. He'll figure out the details, and then he could figure out, are they covering travel? Are they right. covering a hotel? Yeah, the like, hard questions. Like, exactly. Yeah. So that way, because a creator never wants to represent themselves. So yeah. It's too hard to be good cop, bad cop. You yeah. need some middlemen. 
for sure. I realized that, but I didn't know who the middleman was, who to trust. So I found one, he managed it for me, he did a great job. And that's what I realized. There were tons of creators that were asking me the same thing. How do you get so many deals? How do you manage all this stuff? I don't want to sign to anyone, but I want the help and support. And I was like, yo, what if we just start helping other people find deals? If I'm working with Taco Bell already and Burger King hits me, rather than just say no, let's say, oh man, that looks amazing. I have a buddy that would be perfect for it and feed yeah. him the deal and just start this little community of deal flow. And that's what we started. We, we didn't start a talent management agency. We yeah, just said, just, uh, let's help my buddies get deals, especially if they don't make sense for me, and just see what that could look like. And kind of one of those pay it forward things. We didn't really have any expectations. Let's just help everyone out and then see where it goes. And through doing that, we learned that nobody out there was helping talent without trying to sign them and take right. a portion of everything they do. So we're like, there's our business model. Let's go out there, help as many people as possible, and then we just eat what we kill if we low get you pressure deal, we'll take a percentage. not taking exclusivity yeah, just handshake deals deal yeah keep it and so that. that's how that started and it was the perfect business model and the perfect timing because everyone was trying to escape their contracts from mcns and different things but everyone wanted to work with brands influencer marketing great idea brands super smart use of money creators great use of your time to tell a brand story and make money it is a huge win-win you just need to find the right system and team to work with yeah and that was the hole that we found there were no teams that were just trying to help and not run everything can't be the best at everything we'll just be the best at getting you deals you run everything else and that's where you're from i experience so many other organizations that i work with that kill more deals than they get done right. and i feel like working with you and your roster and the people who you guys have over here it's always about how do we do the best thing for the client how do we do the best thing for the creator yeah. we get more stuff done all the time than we don't you've really taken an amazing approach to the industry talk about some of your flagship talent you've got you know was pete mckinnon really the first yeah. guy that came in and so kind of blew it up for you first person was tanner yeah. fox and we've i think we a... did the very first deal together yeah. right great yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. the very first deal we ever did i'm telling you man we got history oh. so tanner fox has said man you are getting so many deals i would love to get deals like that and i was like well dude you're killing the game like teach me about youtube so he moved to Utah for three weeks or visited Utah for three weeks. Space Station Boot Camp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he taught me everything he knew about YouTube. That really helped me at the time. I got to a million subscribers while he was here. And then we got him his first deals. I think we locked like $40,000 worth of deals for him that month. And he's like, yo, I just made 40K out of nowhere. Huge win-win. Just kept moving forward. Shortly after I went to Power of Video Social Media Conference in Ireland, met Peter McKinnon there. He was just getting started. Instantly became friends. Just same age, same personality, same everything Same became vibe. best friends yeah, good and dude. I was like dude you're gonna blow up let's help you figure out the deal he wanted to do a deal with his truck right and I was like if you put it in videos that's enticing them to come do a deal with you but then you'll never get a deal with anyone else so you right. kind of need to have a direction he's like ah that's a good point connected him with Holiday and those were really our first couple clients Tanner Fox Peter McKinnon and then uh, a local family channel that I saw a lot of potential in called Shaw the Yeagers yeah. So those were our first three clients. We had our photographer, tech guy, we had our family channel guy, and then we had our young lifestyle guy. We'll just run with these three people and help them out. We did a good job and that led to referrals and blah, blah, blah. Just grew organically yeah. from there. When did you decide to start your esports organization? Where was the inception for that idea? The exact same time. <laughs> that's why this is also wild. So when I brought Holiday into the space station, that's where things started to ramp. We started to look at long-term. 
as killing it as a creator, but what is more scalable? As of that moment, everything was based on Sean Nervous. I was doing Snapchat, I was doing YouTube, I was public speaking and consulting. All four of those things were amazing. They require but you. I had to do, I had to be there for Not scale. So Holiday was supporting, he was right hand man, we were banging out projects, speaking, whatever, killing it. And how do we get more scalable? How do we take this to the next level? And that's where we had a couple ideas whiteboarded them out, and after a four-hour whiteboard session, the two ideas that remained was influencer marketing, help guys get deals, and figure out this esports thing that we just felt was gonna take off, right? This was before Fortnite even took off. This wow. was just a really good gut check based on Twitch and trends I was seeing on social. Rather than pick one, why don't we just do both and see if one of them works, and then we'll full focus it. So we started doing both. Then they both worked. They both worked, so <laughs> best, best problem ever, right? So together we ran both of them for about a year, full focused on connecting Holiday with everyone I knew in the influencer world, and then he focused on figuring out that business model and running it. Ultimately, he had it down, and so he was able to focus heavier on that after the first year, while the first year of Space Station Gaming was a lot more capital heavy, so we went pretty mellow there, just had one or two teams and learned. And then once integrations felt set that first year, the second year is, all right, let's go heavy on gaming. So that's been this past year, year and a half. We've ramped, we have some of the best teams in the world. We won a world championship. We're approaching it differently. I think a lot of people are just doing the competitive side, like they want to win, which is important, but we're the first people to really care about community and social media and content. And that was new to esports, so it just came in and kind of shook up the scene and it helped us stand out being so heavily focused on content and social. Must give you an amazing advantage because esports teams, they're really just traditional athletic team. They're not necessarily content creators. Most sports teams have in-house broadcast yeah. groups and stuff, but really the most of the production is being done by third-party outside entities. But you guys have this amazing knowledge base and wealth and talent to be able to actually do storytelling with these players and organizations and yeah. leagues and different franchises. Can you talk a little bit more on how that yeah. has really helped you guys pop? It's the perfect example of what helped us pop is yeah. the other teams were leveraging financials to try and get the best competitive team. We couldn't hang with the financials. Some of these guys had raised money or they'd been in esports. Esports have been around for 10 years. It just wasn't mainstream and it wasn't an opportunity that generated much money. Right as it became mainstream and started to have prize pools and like sponsors and all this stuff, that's when we had gotten in perfect time. And where other guys were just trying to financially get the best teams, we were focused on that community and that content. And the teams and the players would see that and be like, I wonder what these guys, because they're highlighting their players and doing cool content. Helps build they, their brands. They come to the events. They just saw that's what they wanted. So we started to win bids on really good teams by offering less money, but the support. And yeah. that, that's really where we started to see a difference in esports. And that's where we doubled down and said, okay, let's go super hard on content, super hard on value add. All of our players and competitors within esports, they understand social media and they're growing their brands and we're trying to work with them long term. So it was just a different feeling in such a volatile space that was getting born for the first time in uh -huh. esports, right? Yeah. We came in and said, hey, we're a little bit constant. We're focused on social. We have these two roads we can go down. And More scrappy. You didn't yeah. raise $100 million to yeah. go and just buy your way into the industry. Yeah. Bootstrapped your way into it a little bit more yeah. conservatively. I, I would guess, I don't know if this is accurate, but I would guess we are probably one of the biggest organizations, most respected orgs out there, that has not raised money. Wow. Like we've just done it ourselves. That's insane. We're, you know, some months we lose money, some months we, we get close to breaking. Okay, all months we lose money, but we get close to breaking even. 
But when you have something that's that big of an asset, has that many expenses, breaking even is like, cool, now we're yeah. not losing money, but we have hey, a you're building equity. Yeah. Asset. Another thing really been super interested in watching your esports organization grow, obviously me being on the side of it where I'm always thinking about the sponsorship opportunities, right. how do we bring brands to the table, and I've learned so much from you about this space. You have done an amazing job inside of esports in bringing the non-endemic sponsors to yes. the table. Everybody else, they've got the chair sponsor and the the console sponsor and the that's, that's energy drink. Yeah. And yeah, the endemics, the ones that have to be there because that's where their audience lives and breathes, yeah. and if they're not there, they're, they're screwed, basically. But you've been able to bring non-traditional sponsors like B&H and others, and yeah. obviously we've been working on some stuff with my clients that are from the non-endemic side that we can't quite talk about just yet, <laughs> but you guys might see some cool stuff on Adobe Stock this week, which is uh, give you uh, some hints of what the future might look like. Can you talk about how your experience from being a content creator and working with those yeah. brands in the traditional influencer marketing world has allowed you to bring over those partners more quickly into the esports world? When you're running a business, you need to constantly be thinking how to work smarter, not hard. That super common phrase, right? We had all these sponsors that all the other teams were sponsored by. There were keyboards, there were headsets, there were chairs, and we're trying to find where's our stake in all of this. And the guys we were going up against, they had bigger teams, they've been around longer, they have personal relationships with all the endemic brands. And we just realized that we could not make good headway with endemic sponsors right now. And, and it makes sense, I wasn't salty about it, just we did not have the connections and the experience and the track record that other people did to win their business, but we still needed sponsors. So we shifted our way of looking and what we did have is we had a great landscape on influencer marketing, social media, strategy, growth hacks, all that kind of stuff. So we leveraged that and we found all these sponsors that see Fortnite blowing up and just recently a Fortnite guy won $3 million yeah, was on Jimmy Fallon. That's more than Tiger Woods just won. Like that's wow. insane. Yeah. And so you have all these people seeing gaming blow up and they say, hey, we want to play in that space because that looks like it's a huge part of the future, right? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a pro basketball player, NFL player, whatever. And then after that, there was this extreme sports era where everyone wanted to be a pro snowboarder, skateboarder, whatever. Now there's this esports social media era where everyone wants to be a YouTuber or a content creator or a esports athlete. Yeah, right? there was a video games professionally. I think there was a stat that I heard the other day: sixty-six percent of kids between the ages of six and thirteen say they want to be a social media creator, a YouTuber, <laughs> or a, e yeah. a Twitch streamer. That's wild. I mean. And imagine if two thirds of the population was out there trying to be a content creator. But in some degree, you know, we're yeah. all content creators now. Yeah, we've got all true. got phones and which, we've all got which channels cool. to I plug. Love the and, and all that. But yeah. but point is, there's a huge demographic that is growing that all brands need to understand, and that is gaming and mm -hmm. esports. We said we know how to do that really well. We know influencer marketing. Let's grab a brand that has desires to understand esports, and we are their perfect example for how to dip their toe in because no matter what. They're gonna get content, they're gonna get the social media influencer part. We're gonna run this like a brand deal and it has some competitive gaming tied to it. Where I think a traditional esports sponsorship was just, here's our team, they're the best in the world, you can be on their jerseys and this and that. How does that actually sell a product or tell the brand story? Unless you are the best team in the world, that doesn't move the needle that much and we weren't the best team in the world. Mm -hmm. So we needed to find other brands that just wanted to dip their toes in and we were the 
easiest answer for doing that because it was diversified. They weren't yeah. getting into just esports. They're getting into gaming, social media, and, and it has some competitive esports in there as well. So that's, that's cool. where we pulled our sponsors from. You've walked me through the business model a little bit before with esports. So obviously you've got the, and this is maybe getting a little bit technical, but I just find it fascinating. You've got the sponsorship money. Yeah. But that's one place that you can earn revenue. Yeah. Then you've got the franchise fees from building a team. And then if they franchise the league, like, can you talk yeah. to me a little bit more about like, how are the different ways you can make money in an esports exactly. organization when you're doing it the way that you do it without buying your way into the market? Gaming is exploding right now. Just gaming in general, not necessarily esports. That's the competitive side of gaming, but right. gaming in general, Twitch, kids watching YouTube videos, whatever gaming is blowing up. So then when you take the competitive side, how do you generate revenue off of that? There's the sponsorship side, that is a pretty big side. In order to really do well on the sponsorship side, you gotta understand how to give a return to the brand. No one wants to just have their logo on your jersey because that does not sell product or tell a brand story or anything, right? So you need to figure out how you're gonna work with them to earn that revenue. We're doing that really well. There's prize pools. Yep. That's just, just you know, winning, you hope you going win, out, winning games. Back. Yeah, get we it. We don't even put those on the books. If we win a prize pool, that goes into the rainy day fund. It's like, <laughs> holy cow. Like, and that could be a big rainy day fund if you get lucky, but nice. I don't think that should be necessarily part of the business model. Interesting. I think the biggest part is being part of the leagues and and being part of the partnership programs within each game. Yeah. So if you are, esports used to be, if you got into this league, there's only so many spots in the league. Rocket League, there's eight spots in America. There's eight professional Rocket League teams in all of America. If you are in that league, then you're good to go. Sponsors can sponsor you and you stay in that league. That's where you can sell skins. If someone wants to drive a space station gaming looking car, there's a couple bucks, yep. there's jerseys, there's skin weapons, there's all these different things. And also the league itself takes care of you because the league doesn't exist. It's, it's without the players, right? It's the NBA. If you're the worst team in the NBA, you, you still, still get, get money. a check and you're still there <laughs> next year. So once esports built official leagues and said you're still here no matter what, whoever was in those leagues, they're in a good spot. So making sure Killing. that you have a spot in the leagues in the big games. So our three or four biggest games, we are in the league, we have skins that are going to be for sale, and that's how we break even on those. That's, that's awesome. That's a huge part of it. And then there's merchandise and licensing rights and all the stuff that you would normally do as a content creator. Are there some franchises that you really want to get into next, like that you got your eye on? Yeah, yeah. So the biggest and most credible franchise is League of Legends. Yeah. I think they started at $12 million for a spot in the league. Ooh. And that was right when I was getting into it. So I was like, oh, this is getting real. Like right when I started <laughs> Space Station Gaming, they started officially making leagues. So it was the perfect time. I was like, yo, if these leagues are going to be official, we need to make sure to get in them. It, we did have a leg up in getting into the leagues because even though we didn't have a lot of time behind us and connections, we were able to deliver content and really tell the story of the game and the team and the leagues. And that's what people want, yeah. was to be able to share that. I think a lot of people were interested in Space Station because of the value we could bring to their league or their organization through that's our really, content. I think we've covered a lot of good stuff on the esports side. One thing also that I've noticed, you created a channel for your daughter not, yeah, too, yeah. not too long ago. Can you talk a little bit about the idea around coming up with the channel and how it's doing and all that kind of stuff? So that's a hard one because there's so many different opinions about being on social media yeah. and whatnot. So initially, we had been filming a whole bunch, doing our thing, and then all the business stuff started to ramp. Everything we just talked about, integrations, managing talent, space station gaming, esports, all that. And it got to a point where I wasn't filming and doing that fun stuff as much as I used to, and we had become very used to it as a family. 
And so my wife was like, man, I wonder if I should start filming more. Like, it'd be fun to do some cute stuff with Adley because she used to like to film. Liked it. It yeah, was like playtime almost. Like, yeah. She grew yeah. up with a vlog camera and like right. it was fun for her. So I was like, wow, we just make Adley her own channel. We were very, very specific to not treat it like a business. It was going to just be for fun. Her first couple videos were literally just playing with Play-Doh and mm -hmm. coloring and learning her colors and numbers. And for a full year, it didn't make any money and we were okay with it. And then it just started to work. Just you can't, went. sometimes you can't plan stuff, especially kids on YouTube. You can't force yeah, that, right? Exactly. It's got so to be authentic. And, and, yep. Yeah, we wanted to roll with it. That's the hard part where it's, well, I want to be strategic because this is an opportunity for her. Her college is paid for. Yeah. She already has maxed out retirement plans. <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm super happy and how old to say she now? But she's three years old. Oh yeah. my Lord. She is, uh, <laughs> but it's her. She's done it herself. She is yeah. completely set for life now. She's ready to go to college. If she wants to start her own investment from business, she has yeah. a little investment that's in an account that she can do. I still want her to work for it but she's going to have the opportunities to take life where, wherever she wants to take it. And that's, that's pretty amazing. This YouTube channel. Yeah. So yeah, the, the hard part there is YouTube and social media is the internet. What people need to realize is they say, social media is bad. It's a waste of time. You can find bad things on there. Guess what? You're talking about the internet. The internet is a waste of time. It's bad. You can find bad things on there, but it's also a way we connect with loved ones and you can find good stuff on there. Recipes, Pinterest, like would kids even have birthday parties without Pinterest nowadays? I don't know, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's super important. Social media is the same way. If used positively, it is great. It's provided a huge opportunity for my family and especially for my daughter. If used inappropriately, if we filmed twice as many videos to make twice as much money and forced her to do stuff, then yeah, it's a very negative thing, but you can't, so many people look at social media on the negative side first. Oh, yeah. It's a positive thing unless you make it a negative thing. Yesterday, actually yesterday, from 9 a.m. till 4 o'clock p.m., I was at the zoo with my family, and I didn't feel guilty at all, even though I had 20 employees here at the office working because I was filming a family video, and my daughter filmed a little fun video for her. I had tons of fun family You're time. Doing work. We knocked out videos, did yeah. work, and then that evening I was able to go home and get work done because I spent the day with my family. Yeah, and that, that's what I love about all, all this stuff is it's just so integrated, yeah. you know, in a way where you're having fun, you're making money, you're doing work, but it all just feels like mm -hmm. having doing the things that you love to do. Yeah, yeah. and there, right now my daughter loves it. She storyboards and like we'll start the video and she's like, actually, maybe I run down the stairs and like, jump off the bottom <laughs> stair and I'm like, go for it and we'll refilm the intro. Like, she loves it and eventually there will be a day where maybe she still loves it, but just because she's a rebellious kid, she doesn't want to do what mom sure. say. And yeah. she'll be like, I don't want to film. Cool, we don't yeah. have to film. I just need to always be at the understanding that when she doesn't want to film, we don't film and it doesn't matter if we're gonna get off schedule or whatever. That's what YouTube is for her. It's a hobby and it needs to stay that way even though it's generating money. So it's really important to keep that mindset, but it is hard. When I when everything's going great, it's easy for me to keep that mindset. So yeah. it's been great. But if things were going difficult or if I didn't have anything else other than a kid's YouTube channel, yeah. it would be hard to that's make that scary, decision. Right? Like I think other parents, a lot of people yeah. haven't made good decisions and that's where it gets so, the the, so there's a little bit of the, the dance mom yeah. groups out there where there are parents who yeah. are hustling their kids and trying to get them you on get YouTube. Right? Yeah, right. Like there's parents that are trying to make their kids gymnast stars and train four hours a day and they're six years old. It's because they want them to live their dreams. So yeah. it can happen in sports, academics, or social media. And sure. it's just all how you manage it. But so Social media isn't bad if you don't make it bad. I love that perspective. I yeah, think yeah. that's really healthy advice to anybody out there who is doing stuff with their family on social media or if a lot of kids are coming to their parents today and saying, hey, buy me a camera. I want to do this. Get yeah. me a creative cloud. So I think that's a good way to approach it if for sure. If you support the creativity and you're a part of it, 
then it's amazing. If you tell them not to do it, then they're just going to go have a sleepover at their friend's house and do jackass stunts and get hurt <laughs> because they couldn't do the safe stuff at home because you told them not to. If you support it, it'll be a creative outlet. Let's talk about the event side of your business. Um, I don't know the exact specifics, but I know that you're pretty involved in Vid Summit to this point. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved in that and what Vid Summit's all about? What's your vision for it as it juxtaposes against something like a VidCon? So Vid Summit was completely ideated and created by Daryl Leaves. Very smart guy. I've learned a ton about YouTube and strategy from Daryl. And he invited me to his conference, Vid Summit, when it was fairly new. And normally at that time, I was super busy doing the Snapchat and speaking and YouTube hustle. So I was like, yeah, I'll come out for a day, kind of a homie hookup and speak, and then I'm going to dip. And I went out there for a day, and the audience was just so incredible. It wasn't fans who just wanted to see me. And it wasn't business people who didn't even know what I was talking about. They were just wanting to know numbers. Mm -hmm. It was people within social media, digital strategy, that actually cared about building a career based on social media and digital content. Wow, I've never seen this before. Authentically, I had never seen that. Can I stay longer? Ended up staying all three days of the conference. And then, Daryl, this is amazing. I want to be super involved. Let's get you in here as an owner. That's right when Holiday had come on. Um, that was one of his very first projects since me and Holiday really focused on VidSummit. And how do we attract more creators, more big-time creators, creators. big-time yeah. brands? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what we did. Daryl had the skeleton of a perfect conference, and then we just injected it with bigger talent, bigger names, bigger businesses, etc. And it's been about two or three years since then. Since, since that first bid summit, and now we have Mr. Beast. Who I heard, just I saw us. the yeah, tube filter article. Huge. Congrats, that's huge. Yeah, man. So, bid summit this year is going to be insane. It, it's all about digital strategy. It tells you how to create a business or or grow a business by using social media strategy. So is it essentially what the VidCon Creator Summit really should be or, or yeah, aspires to be? Yeah, I think so. And, but there's a place and time for VidCons and meeting fans and stuff like that, but there's also a place and time for strategically yeah. looking at social media. Learning about growing your business and actually yeah. doing work and stuff like that. We've talked about a lot of stuff that you're involved today. Anything that we haven't talked about that you're doing that you want to let the fans know about? <laughs> Apart from that stuff, <laughs> I would say overall for me, it's not like I've had these times where I focus on Snapchat or YouTube or the agency or esports. Those will always be balls that I'm trying to juggle and keep up in there. For me, the big vision now is this team and it's it's the space station empire in general, if you would call it that. The space station office we're in right now. It's amazing. You guys maybe have heard saws going on in the background during this interview. <laughs> we literally have a metal guy building stuff in our warehouse. That's pretty insane. As we go. He just built me an office. There's our, our conference room has a skylight that goes to my office. So you can look down. Like, we have a slide. There's in a our speakeasy office. slide uh, yeah. to look through his door. It's pretty cool stuff, guys. Basically, it's, it's about team and culture, and it's not about any one of these businesses. It's about all of them supporting each other and moving up. Integrations closes brand deals and does talent management for our gaming teams. Our gaming teams bring opportunities to everyone else in the There's cross-pollinization. Like, yeah, tons of that. So right now, the overall vision is the space station as an incubator for multiple small businesses and how can we continue to keep that culture in that environment so we can create as many people that are super talented as possible to work on this space station and as many opportunities as we possibly can in, in the startup world 
succeeded six or seven times and failed three or four times or whatever the ratios are, but we're just going to keep doing it and we'll keep succeeding and keep failing. And that's what the space station is. How do you find great people out here in, in Utah? I know obviously Utah is an amazing place these days with the thing that's going on with the Silicon Slopes movement yeah. and all the cool startups and, you know, Adobe has a huge office out here. Yeah, Tons of great things happening on the tech scene. How do you go out and find great talent to work for you? That's been the hardest part. We've succeeded. It's been good. And we have about 28 people in the space station right now and I absolutely love every single one of them. They're ride or die till the end grinding and I think a couple different things. I don't hire based on talents and skill sets. Nowadays there are a lot of people that know how to edit videos. Write resumes, like, stuff like yeah, that. If you, yeah, if you don't know how to edit photos and videos you almost stand out. Like, <laughs> you know I mean? like, everyone has that skill set nowadays so I can't say oh I need a video editor. Anyone who edits videos, hit me up. It's more based off of their personality. Are they hungry? Are they in a situation where they just want to grind and make something work? And, and that's what we've done, paid internships. So everyone that enters the space station starts on a paid internship. Nice. It's one to two to three months of, hey, you're getting paid, but it's pretty low. And if you can work your butt off, you can build a position right here that I think there's a spot. They build it, they have that spot, and it continues to grow. And then all of a sudden there's a spot under them that we fill and blah, blah, blah. Now they're in the ranks as the space station. Yeah, almost like a little farm team that you bring yeah. in as an intern. Yeah. It sounds like a Morgan Stanley op operation yeah. almost. I'd love it. it. That's wild. crazy. Just straight up hiring like, hey, you're hired. Here's your salary. Here's what you do. I don't think we've ever done it. But hey, here's a little bit of money. Come show us that you want to work here and where you would fit. And if it feels really good, we'll move forward. And almost every single person has proven it. And, and that's how we hired is based off of desire to I love work that. and build. And do you use social to kind of put the word out to get people? Not necessarily, because you probably don't want fans working well, for you. but cool yeah, I, I have used LinkedIn and those high-end you know, networking with colleges and stuff. Right. And those have yielded pretty good fruits. But also, we have thrown it on social, which is nice. rad. We put on my story once and said, swipe up, fill out this resume. And we had over a 1,000 people fill out resumes wow. that day or two days. <laughs> And then took time to sort through, but we hired three fans, people that legitimately loved what we were doing and passionate about the space station, and now they work here and they're huge parts of our business. And I think that's cool to give that equal opportunity to the community we're building, you know? And they see that, they see that like, I put that on my Instagram story and now there's more people that are working that saw that and it's like, wow, that's cool that they're building up their community and not just picking from colleges. Yeah, right? it almost is a way to reward the fans yeah. in a way. If you're a fan and you've been supporting me as a, a fan over time and you have a real desire to right. meet me and build a relationship and work here, if you've got what it takes, yeah. you know, come on. Come and and when out. we say fan, to be clear, it's not a fan like, oh, I love your videos <laughs> and your doodles, can I come work yeah. for you, right? It's mm -hmm. like... I'm a fan of Gary Vee and yeah, he's too. super strict, like whatever, whatever. Because I'm a fan of that, I would want to work in that environment. Those yeah. are the people I'm speaking of. People yeah. that were fans fan of as, the Fan as you as a thought leader yes, more exactly. than uh, Sean exactly. Durris, the, the, the YouTube personality. Yeah. And, and there were a lot of 12 year old fans that applied as well. <laughs> we, we had pretty much a generic email in bags like, dude, thank you for applying, man. Hit me up when you graduate high school. Let's stay in touch years later. Gotta do <laughs> so, it. Gotta do we'll it. See. I'm sure those guys will be good at some point. Yeah, man. What creators do you have your eye on right now? Who would be like a huge get for Space Station integrations as far as like creators you want to work with, but you just haven't ever had the chance to officially yeah. work with them? Honestly, it's it's not like I go to the trending page and see who gets the most views. It's uh -huh. not a certain category. It's, ref it's like anything, sports, social media, whatever. There's a huge group of people that have made it. But in that group of people, there's people that made it by sheer force. I forced myself to become a creator <laughs> on Snapchat. I was like, I want this, right? 
and you have those guys, and then you have the guys that have the right friends, or they got lucky with the algorithm, or a viral video, or they live in LA, so worked they at full screen, or, blah, yeah, blah, blah, exactly. yeah. Uh-huh. And so in that group of creators, I just want to find the guys that want it so bad that they are going to do everything in their power to continue to move forward and build a brand under their name. And those are the guys I'm looking for next. And usually you get those through referrals of people who are like that, right? You're as good as the people you spend time with or whatever that quote yeah, is. Right. Uh-huh. The people that are spending time with the creators that we manage because we like their personality and their vision, those are the people that we want to be working with. Why are there so many great creators in Utah? Like what's in the water out here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, all religious views and everything aside, going on a mission, forgetting yourself and serving other people for two years is such an interesting experience. It completely changed who I was. Before going to Honduras, I skated and ate Pop-Tarts and was probably a little turd, right? (laughs) When I went to Honduras and actually helped people and like affected their lives and saw people change and just saw how other people were living throughout the world, right? Sometimes you get in the bubble of where you've grown up it just changed my perspective on things. Sure. And so I think that's the biggest thing is in Utah, a lot of people will serve missions for their religion and all of that aside, just the raw human feelings and skill set you learn from serving other people and forgetting about yourself for two years completely changes your outlook and, and turns you into a much better employee, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. And that's, that's what's in the water in Utah. I, I love it. And, <laughs> and then I think, you know, there's something also to be said just about values around, you know, yeah. wanting to spend time with family and staying here locally and stuff like that. And let's face it, clean living too, right? Like if yeah. you're not out there getting drunk and hung over in the morning and you're, you're like, hustling. you're hustling, you know, what yeah. else are you going to do with your time except like sure, get, get stuff done, right? Also cost of living and yeah. hiring and employees mm-hmm. and spaces. Like I never could have done what we've done with the space station in LA or on a coastal city. Being in Utah, when I made the first leap to grab an office, I was not ready and I did not have the money, but it was doable because I was in Utah. My first employees were doable because it was in Utah. So it, it kind of made that entry level. Utah is the sec- second most views on YouTube. Wow. It's uploaded on YouTube. So LA uploads the most views yep. on YouTube. Utah uploads the second most That's views. Crazy. That's crazy. That's awesome. Uh, One thing that I've also noticed from your content, you've taken, and I hope you don't take offense to this by Howard Stern, but he's somebody who I like. And I, I, I like the way that he has created his content and his brand by incorporating his staff. Mm-hmm. All the people on his show, the producers and everybody involved has the opportunity to come on air and actually be part of yeah. the show in a way. Yeah. I really loved how you have shared the spotlight, so to speak, with everybody at the space station. Almost everybody here has been on camera at one point or Dude, another. They pop in and out. Dude, culture is so important. Yeah. That's, that's what that's all about. I love that. For that, sure. You've got a pretty massive team here now, 21 yeah. people. Can you talk a little bit about your content workflow and how many people are cranking on content out? What What is everybody doing and where is all the, what are all the channels that you're pushing stuff out to at this point? And also, I didn't mean to shut down your last week. Dude, culture and community is so huge and that's why I love when when it's someone's birthday, we surprise them, we do a cake, we tag them on Instagram. All day my business partner, he has 35,000 followers on Instagram and gets better engagement than some of the deals we do. You know what I mean? But like, it's the validation of knowing that they know what they're, that they act on what they sell. If Holiday actually is going to go out and sell influencer marketing, he needs to understand social media and be doing it himself. And so I think that's really important to have all our guys 
involved. No one's trying to get famous off social media, yeah. but everyone's actively using it because it is a huge part of it. Look, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I'm not trying to become exactly. the next Gary Vee or the yeah. next Sean Duras, but what I do want to know is I want to understand how the Adobe tools work. I yeah. want to A, have a proficiency around actually creating this podcast and then getting in there and editing it. But yeah. then there's also that real world experience of putting it out into the world and getting yeah. feedback and looking at the analytics and the things yeah, that you're talking about. I think there's a lot that goes into practice what you preach to some degree yeah. and being able to go on and talk to a marketer and say, I actually have proficiency on these tools beyond just selling them. I think that's been super valuable for me and a lot of the people at my company, they're small micro influencers too. And when they get to a certain spot, they pop out and they go do their thing. It's totally cool. Mm -hmm. So that's the culture thing. I think it's important. And then also it just is it's fun when we have activities everyone does their thing and one thing we've done is when we do something fun i don't want 28 dudes holding out their phones and trying to film so we have a content <laughs> guy that everyone just goes and has fun and then one guy gets all the content and then disperses it so everyone can post and be relevant and stay active on social without actually taking time to do that so Super smart. It's setting up those practices to keep the culture and with that there's this extra fun twist to everything we do because everyone is kind of a creator in their own way. So everything we do is a little extra fun. Everyone's building out their own pieces of content and it adds to the community. So Sean, what are you most excited about for the future of the space station organization? For the future. Wow. That's uh, futures now. I, don't know, like, <laughs> I, I can't even think like two months ahead when I'm in the future, but I think the thing I am most excited for again is not any particular business. I'm not that worried about where my social media content goes or gaming or integrations or any of that stuff. The space station as a whole, can we be an incubator to help not just our businesses, but our employees, like some of our employees are having these great ideas that we're putting into play and they're starting to generate revenue. That's can killer. the space station be an incubator for great ideas that involve digital media and social media strategy. That's and that, that's what I think the future looks like and what kind of people will come out of this. You, you hear the stories of the giant companies of the past that broke up and went their own ways and this guy made PayPal and this guy made this, and but they all started in the same place. I very much think that will be the space station is we're going to be a solid unit that grows and does amazing things together. And then eventually what else will come from what we started at the space station, either people that have broken off or ideas that have broken off or maybe ideally it also stays under the space yeah. station and it's just one exciting incubator of multiple businesses. We're in a, right now the space station is in this giant warehouse that spans about eight different buildings. We started in the first building <laughs> and we just expanded and bought the second wow. one. Five years You've from now, been... I want to own all the buildings <laughs> and have 10 different businesses in here and they're all cranking and they all scratch each other's backs and everyone who works here is enjoying themselves and is a little bit of a creator themselves and we, we just have a good time. I think I went really specific with that vision, but no, it's going to happen. I think that's perfect, man. Well, hey, well, uh, thanks so much for being yeah, a course. great partner with all the business that we've done together and just for being yeah, a man. great friend. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank man. you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm excited. We've been talking about you doing something like this for a while, so I'm glad you just said it, man. This is good. Yeah, I'm pumped, Let's man. keep it going. I, I can connect you with anyone. You guys, can you leave comments on the podcast? Uh, I think that's Tweet possible. Tweet Dylan or me. Figure out how to let us know. Let us know who you want to be a guest on this show. And we will make it happen for sure. But do that. I'll figure out how to find it. I like it. Thanks, guys. So that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks again for joining us. And if you like this podcast, don't forget to give us a rating in the iTunes store because that helps us get found by more people. And don't forget to subscribe wherever podcasts are found. We'll see you next week.